self-serving persuasive talkers of everything and nothing we are conversation con artists what's going on people it's your boy mr on point and i am so envious right now that i'm not in the uk uh, also known as Conversation Con Artist, back for another fantastic episode. We have a special guest with us. If you would like to introduce yourself, sir. Hello, yeah. So I'm, I'm Michael from the UK. Uh, fi- finally on the show, it feels like. So excited. Because we've been, uh, <laughs> we've been boosting up that idea for some time now. <laughs> we have. Yeah, yeah and, I, um, I finally got around to it. And I'm glad that we finally got an opportunity to get you on the show. Oh, so we're just going to pro- progress with the show as normal, and Michael is just going to uh, be a part of the show today. Everything we do, he's going to do it with us. So let's start yeah, with the listener letter. What you got? Okay. So if you have a question you would like for us to send um, to answer on the show, you can send it to our Gmail account, which is conversationconartist at gmail.com, or you can find us on Facebook, Conversation Con Artist, and send it to us that way. Um, the first letter that we have is from Nikki. Um, Nikki says, hey y'all, I'm adopting my first dog from the animal shelter on Friday. She's a Jack Russell Terrier and Chihuahua mix. Do you all have any advice or tips for on owning a dog? Red, I know you have two dogs. I don't think Mr. On Point does, but I welcome his hilarious commentary. Thanks, Nikki. Um, and then she sent a part two with a picture of the dog. Um, her name is Honey, and she's two and a half years old. And she just wanted to know tips for owning a dog as um being single which girl listen it's <laughs> it's a lot harder but it's I have two dogs so um getting them on a consistent schedule is the most important thing that would be the first thing I would tell anybody um is that you have to get them on a consistent schedule so taking them out at the same time and so I, what I did what I always do is I work around what my work schedule is so the schedule that I set up is a schedule that works with my work schedule. Um, with Honey being two and a half years old, I always had puppies, which is stupid. Don't ever do that. I will never get another puppy after this last one. But with an older dog, um, it'll be a little bit easier as far as they won't have to go to the bathroom as often. But I also stick to that schedule on the weekend. So like I don't, you know, I don't deviate from the schedule just because it's the weekend and I can sleep in and we get up at the same time like I'm going to work and take them out. So that would be my number one is making sure you have a consistent schedule. I know you have. On Point has had a dog and it was amazing as far as like tell what you did the day I, Look, I, I was heavy on training, okay? All it takes is 30 minutes a day of training until your dog picks it up and they'll pick up whatever it is. Um, I use treats for training. Um, but I trained my dog to ring a bell when she wanted to go outside to use the bathroom. Oh, fucking <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> the thing is, you become a slave to the bell. So yeah. when the bell rings, you gotta gotta move or you're finna get pee on the floor. Oh. <laughs> um, do you, do you have any pets or anything, Michael? Or have you ever had any pets? I say I, I can't really speak to it because, um, you know, the only pets I've ever had has been fish when I was a little kid. And that's a whole different, you know, thing. <laughs> but, yeah. And also, I've never really been single. So, uh, nothing has ever been solely my responsibility, pretty much. Uh, that said... Um, the most I, I am one of those people that really really loves dogs and I really love when people bring their dogs around and the most annoying thing is if someone is not training their dog properly 
So I yeah I, I do appreciate what you were saying there, Mr. On Point, about actually getting that stuff under control. Because there's I for me badly behaved dogs are actually slightly worse than badly behaved children almost. You know. Oh well, they yeah. They can hurt. Yeah, they can hurt mm-hmm. more than a badly behaved child can. Um, not jumping up on people is one of the things that um, you need to get under control really quickly. Socializing them. Again, with the dog being two and a half, um, she may or may not have some socialization already. But, like, if you're, uh, like, I live in an apartment. So, I take, um, I don't really take the, the older dog because he's an asshole to the park. And he's an asshole to other dogs, so he doesn't really get to go. But the younger dog loves to go um, to dog parks. And if you're going to be taking her to a dog park, she needs to have some socialization um, and and be around other dogs. To do that, I would suggest going to the dog park on a day when there's not going to be a lot of people there. Um, Obviously, the weekend is a terrible time to go because everybody takes their dog to the dog park. But... Um, if she doesn't have, and that's just if you're planning, now if you're not planning on ever taking her to the dog park and you're not planning on getting a second dog, socializing her around other dogs may not be important, but she definitely needs to be socialized around other people because there's vet visits. There are going to be people that come over to your home. Um, and so she needs to know the proper way to behave around other humans that are not you. Uh, cause as the owner, you're going to allow a lot more stuff with you than you're going to want for like the people coming visiting your house um so training is very important schedules are very important uh, especially being single and by yourself um it just makes everything so much easier if you have a schedule for the dog um i don't know what else would i say i'm gonna get my rundown so you get finished with whatever you got to you say go ahead and then maybe <laughs> i'll think of something or i'll interject all right so I'm not a fan. One, I'm not a fan of any kind of uh, choke collars or any of that stuff. Oh, yeah, no. Like, you, they, people will frown upon you if you got a shock collar or choke collar on your dog. They will, don't take that shit. It don't take that. They will, try to, they will try to steal your dog from you. So, don't, <laughs> don't do that. You know, we go to the farmer's market and you see dogs. I, I'm just, I'll be looking at the collars. I'll be like, I wonder somebody bold enough to come out here with a choke chain on. Because they will get shunned. They will. I'm not a fan of pee pads. I don't think that a dog in any way needs to think about using the bathroom in the house. I know they're convenient and they are for specific circumstances. So if you have a system set up where you can get your dog on a schedule where you take them out in the morning, get off of work, take them out when you get off of work, and maybe take them out before you go to bed. That's my schedule. That'll be perfect because pee pads are... They just give the dog the idea that there are some contexts where I can go in the house and you don't want that to get misconstrued with your dog. Uh, the most important things you need to train your dog to know are stay. Stay is life-saving. Sit. Sit is very helpful for them jumping up on people and, and just self-control. Heel, which is them following right behind you on, on your heels, basically. Um and those are the most, the three most important that you need to have your dogs learn because those are they revolve around self control for your animal. Um, you need to learn. You need to research crate training and determine what crate training is. Crate training basically habituates the dog to know that the crate is their home and it's safe. People think that 
putting the dog in a crate all day is like mean. It becomes their home, though. You know what I'm saying? Like if if Remy does something that he knows he's not supposed to do, and he knows that I, he's going to get punished for it, he'll run to his crate because that's his safe place. It's, and so it becomes their safe place. So it's not um, like a cruel thing. And dogs, when they get bored, are destructive. So you leave your dog out while you're at work if you want to because you think it's mean to put him in a crate. You're going to come home. There's some destructive, some um, torn up stuff. So. And maybe you'll be able to train your dog to a point where they don't destroy things and you can leave them out, but you still always want them to have that crate train. And my dog, when when I would burn something in the kitchen and it would smoke and she would smell the smoke, she would go into her crate because she didn't know what in the world was going on. So just having that safe space um, was helpful. And from that, you can learn um, how to do all kind of other tricks. Um yeah, I, don't, I think one of the main points as well is to remember that your dog is a dog. Because, um, again, with a lot of owners, I, I see them treating them almost like they're, they're humans or they're children. Um, and once you give a dog that space within your life, they then feel that they're entitled to more than perhaps a dog should be. So, you know, my, my father-in-law, for instance, has uh, this huge uh, Rottweiler who uh you know gets cooked meals and gets yeah yeah and 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 the trouble is when you do that you you know you try and give them dog food afterwards and and nothing really happens so it's you know treat your dog well treat your dog like you love them but don't treat them that like they're a human being that's gonna you know (laughs) gonna gonna be able to keep things in proportion and and reasonably what the what the shit is this dog (laughs) yeah what I do to get downgraded? <laughs> this punishment? No, you're a dog. That's what that is. You are not supposed to have these things. And table food will make your dog sick. Listen, I, you think it's cute when they beg and, oh, I want to give them some food. I just paid 100 and I don't feed them table food. This is not me having given him something. But my damn dogs, when I walk them, eat shit. When I tell you I get so livid because I pay for grain-free so, like, all of this shit that they don't have skin allergy issues, and then you want to go eat stuff off the ground like a stray. You could be a stray if you would like to be a stray. <laughs> but I just spent $130 at a, for a vet visit because the um, younger dog apparently ate something outside, got a gastrointestinal bacterial infection, and was literally bleeding out of his butt. Like, there was no poop coming out. It was just, like, blood. What does that have to do with table food? Because if they eat, you, you're not supposed to eat. Dogs are not meant to eat what we eat. And so you can give them some. I've seen people. Dogs are meant to eat what we eat, but not how we eat it. Well, we have all those seasons and shit in our stuff. It's not like, unless you're eating unseasoned chicken, what you talk about. <laughs> I mean, if you're going to give your dog, like, meat, mm-hmm. then you have to do it certain ways. Like, if they eat, if you're going to give them dog bones, they can't be cooked. Mm-hmm. They have to be raw. Um. Things like that because when they're cooked, the bones become brittle and they can eat it and it can tear up their insides. But I um, mean, most of the time when people are giving tables, it's stuff that they're eating because the dog oh, yeah, is begging. Yeah. And so I mean, clearly, clearly a little piece of something I'll at the give table. Them to take something. You spend one horrible vet visit having to, pay, and this is not even the most. Kingston cost me the most before because I, I was. I learned with him. I was giving him little bits of food because he was so cute and he would come over and beg and I would look, oh, here you go. And I had to take his ass to the vet and it cost me almost $500 because I don't even remember what food. I just, after that, I was like, dog food, period. That's all. 
kidding. Well, I wouldn't give them food from the table just because I don't want them to beg. I don't want them to become habituated to coming to the table and asking for food or waiting for food to drop. I don't. Little puppy, though. I mean, I just feel like it'll make them say they holding back the delicious shit. Why are they giving me these little dry granules of brown shit to eat in this bowl and they got the good stuff at the table? When your dog start thinking like that, you're going to have a problem. Yeah. Now, talking about dog food and oh, diet, yeah. get some good food. Don't get food that has wheat in Like, look at the yeah. ingredients. No if it has corn, if it has wheat, don't get that. If you Because this is what happens. We can't digest corn. Humans can't digest, no system can digest corn. So a lot of these dog food companies get corn and wheat and mix up a whole bunch of stuff that isn't really filling or healthy and they put it in dog food and they your dog eats it and it travels through their body but it's never digested. So that's bad for poop consistency, which you want that. You don't want it to be wet some days and then solid some days. And... Um, so what you want to do is you want to get some higher quality food. It costs more, but you can feed them less. Yep. They actually digest it, and that's the reason you don't have to give them as much because it's, their body is actually working it through their system, and they feel like they've eaten versus always feeling hungry because the food is traveling through, and their poop uh, will be consistent enough to pick up every time like it's supposed to be. Um, and dogs have allergies at 100%. Again, uh, I have a miniature schnauzer, and I have a German short hair pony. The miniature snouser is the older dog, and he, I didn't realize for the longest time that he was scratching so much. I was like, he doesn't have fleas. Like, I don't understand what's going on. And it was the food that I was feeding him. He was having, uh, he had a food allergy. So, they have food allergies. That happens. So, the higher quality of the food and the less bullshit that's in it, the less likely you're like to uh, tap into one of those food allergies. Because, like, they can't tell you. Dogs can't say, hey, I can't have this. Um, but he was scratching, almost scratching his skin off. He was so itchy all the time. And, um, I talked to the vet, changed the food, and he hasn't had that problem since. Um, uh, just, the you know, while we're on the subject, I wonder, what's your opinion of, um, uh, so dog breeds that have been bred so much, they're now kind of messed up, like pugs and, uh, French, oh, were they French terriers or something? You know, like, they, they have the problems where... If you, if you buy a pug, for instance, the likelihood is you're going to have to pay for uh, surgery at some point to correct the really short snout and that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Human beings are shit. That's my opinion. <laughs> <We> <laughs> human beings, we, because, and I mean, we are, some of us intellectually are at the top. <laughs> but I feel like, you know, we look at it, it's like, a, it's a, they're designer dogs. And so we just, you know, you kind of, we bred them and bred them and bred them to be what we want them to look like without thinking about health concerns or what that means for the dog because it looks cute to us. Mm. Um, I think it's shitty. But, and I think that the payment for that is when you do buy one of those dogs that you, you're going to come out of some money because <laughs> you're going to yeah. have to pay to get this corrected. And that's what happens. <laughs> I just always think of uh, Lawnmower Dog, the Rick and Morty episode. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Have you watched any Rick and Morty, Mike? Oh yeah, yeah, uh, uh, all of it. And I think you know if 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 uh, Snowball was a, a pug, then there'd be a lot more 
<laughs> I think I, I feel like the owners would have a lot more to answer for if, if you know, on top of everything else, he's sitting there going, "Well, you've genetically modified me to the point where my body can't sustain itself because you think my face looks cute." <laughs> no, that's a, <laughs> exactly. That's a problem. I mean, we essentially taking joy in having the short buzz version of dog. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's. Uh, it, it'd be like an alien uh, presence with human pets kind of looking at us and going okay there's these uh, there's these guys over here that have got uh, they've got dwarfism where we think that's really really cute uh, yeah you get some you know heart related problems associated with that and blood pressure problems and you get problems with the hips and you know there, there's some things that they have trouble with but I want every single human to look like this so only allow the dwarves to mate you know <laughs> so uh, yeah it's it is it's like genetic modification before we knew what genes were. It's yeah. ridiculous. I mean, look at wolves and look at a pug. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, come on. We did that. <laughs> we ain't shit. Yeah, terrible. We do a lot um, of things. I mean, for our enjoyment. I'm not gonna get into the environmental shit, but we just do a lot of stupid stuff. And feel like we don't have to be held accountable for it. And I feel like eventually, because I listen, if Lawnmower Dog ever happened, I'd be fine. I would be okay. I would be in good with the dog. Like, I would, I, would, I guess I would be a pet like Morty. <laughs> but I'd be okay. Some of these people wouldn't be so lucky. We would be getting what we deserve. Early white people did a lot of bullshit. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, we look the way we look now because they were you I'm know, not putting gonna, together the stronger ones. With you know, I'm not going to attribute that to all the white people today, but early white people did a number. Yeah, today white people benefit a little bit from some of that stuff, but you know, I mean, well, yeah, body types and setup is a lot. I mean, that's kind of it's similar. It's not. I mean, obviously we got out here pugging it up, but. Um, were you know larger a lot of those things is because they were ma- you know matching up certain ones with certain ones because they wanted you know stronger faster able to work longer and so um, that has a lot to do with where we are um, currently as far as physically but yeah I think that humans just suck <laughs> they just suck we just do stupid stuff. I want to get a pug and somebody told me that sometimes they eyeball fall out. <laughs> I was like, ain't no way I will get an animal that the eyeball is known to fall out sometimes. I get cherry um, Bulldogs yeah. are that way too, aren't they? Any of the ones that have those like really smushed faces? Oh, God, that's bad, Imagine isn't it? you home and your dog run up to you and his eyeball is just dangling. <laughs> Well, you're at your friend's house and the eyeball falls out and it's just, oh yeah, no, it does that sometimes. <laughs> or, or your friends have never seen this happen and they think they did this to their dog. Call them Peter. Yeah, so don't, don't buy a pug and if you do, uh, don't squeeze it too hard. I guess that's the... That's the move. Because of pugs. A few last things about dog ownership. Um, if you want people to, your neighbors and people to respect you, always keep your dog on a leash. Never feel comfortable enough outside with your dog that they are trained well enough that you don't have them on a leash because all it takes is a squirrel or some creature they've never seen to take off and then boom, hit by a car. Can I speak to this boy? Because you know I have a... Go for it. I get so fucking mad when my 
your dog is your dog, okay? I live in an apartment complex. There's no reason why I should be walking my dogs who are on leashes and your fucking dog comes running up to my dog. And then when I have an attitude, you want to tell me, he's friendly. He's friendly to you, okay? And how do you know my dogs are friendly? My dogs may not be friendly. Then what? You're going to have an attitude if they get into a fight. That shit makes me so angry. If you want your dog to be off the leash, get a house with a yard and put him in that. Do not be out here like little um, Spike is not going to hurt anybody. I hate that. It makes me so angry. Like, I keep both of my dogs. He's is 20 pounds, okay? And so even if he ran up on somebody, he's not going to do no damage. You could punt him and it'd be fine. But even with him only being 20 pounds, ever since I've had him, he's always been on the leash. Like, I cannot stand that. And then the owner's are so nonchalant about it like oh he's friendly it's okay no it's not okay you need to buy a leash you telling me you can spend five hundred dollars on this dog you couldn't you know go an extra ten and get a leash and a collar like ugh. and it is not safe for the dogs because they do have like they see a squirrel then they're gonna run and they can get hurt but also they can get hurt by other dogs because they're gonna run up on them because that's what dogs do and either they may smell something on the other dog they don't like or my dog may smell something on your dog that he don't like. And now they in a fight because you're stupid. Put your dog on a leash. Sorry. I hate that <laughs> <note>. <laughs> Uh So the last part for the dog training input is everything that I learned about the training that I wanted to do came from this dog, this, uh, dog trainer on YouTube named Zach George. Z-A-K <clears throat> George. And everything that I've learned about dogs came from him and he just has a really really friendly way of training dogs it's not like a consequence heavy like those shock collars and, and chains and stuff um so look him up and i think that you'll get a lot of good input from him um i just no telling how many videos he got now because this was like five years ago that i was looking up to train for him now as far as input about a dog and being single Something that you're going to have to do is make sure that anybody that you plan on dating and interacting with likes dogs, are okay with dogs, and you're going to want your dog to have positive energy around that person because it is real easy for your dog to immediately hate somebody that walks into your place. Yes. Now, if you like a person and your dog don't, what are you going to do with those existences? Yeah. You know, so I guess early on enough, you need to make sure people know, I have a dog. Do you like dogs? It's a little dog, you know, so. And Honey is adorable, by the way. The picture is so cute. Um, it's funny to me how, like, when, when you hear the two breeds that a dog means, it's like, they look exactly like those two dogs mixed together. Mm -hmm. Like, it's got the body of a chihuahua and the head of the terrier. Yeah. It's weird She's to me. It's cute. Um, now what I will say, you also need to kind of know your dog. Okay. And I say that because I have two dogs on opposite ends of the spectrum. If Kingston doesn't like somebody, he's an asshole. He likes no one. I think the handful of people that he like will tolerate is on point. My mom and my younger brother, <laughs> everybody else is questionable. Like he's just an asshole. So like, he's not going to like bite people, but he, he ain't going to fool with you. Like, so I can't like really go to him not liking somebody and be like, oh, that's weird. Now, the other dog likes everybody. And so the only person I've ever seen him have an issue with is the Jamaican that is, lives at my apartment that's been 
creeping me out for the last few years. And so that just gave me, let me know further that I was right in being concerned <laughs> about him uh, trying to date me or whatever this Reagan has going on. But uh, you have to know your dog's temperament too because uh, Remy like everybody. I mean, I, I mean, it's problematic how much he likes people. Like he would help a robber carry my shit out of my house. <laughs> I feel like if they were like, you're such a good boy, then he'd be like, okay, I'll carry the TV out. Let's go. Like, he he is so friendly. He would literally think you choking him to death is playing until he is dead. <laughs> <laughs> like, that is how Remy is. It's like, I will kill you. And he'd just be like playing, like, until it's like, okay, Tell no him. more life. He would die thinking that was okay. He is so friendly. Like, it is so sickening sometimes because I'm just like, why are you so happy? <laughs> All the time. Why do you deserve happiness? <laughs> Not but it was such an adjustment from Kingston that hates everything. And I, when I say they're on the opposite ends, you come in my house, Kingston's going to mean mug you. Remy's going to have a heart attack because he's going to want to like, he'll, he shakes his tail so fast that his whole ass wiggles. And he's just so excited and wants everybody to pet him. And wants to play with everyone. They are literally on opposite ends. So you also kind of have to know the temperament of your dog. That goes for dog parks too. Not all dogs are going to do well in dog parks. Um, sometimes their temperament just isn't going to be. And they do have different temperaments. You can have you know six of the same dog breed. And they'll have six different temperaments. They, it just kind of depends on the parents. It kind of And with Honey being a shelter dog. You don't know what her life has been like for the two and a half years she's been here. Um, so you kind of have to get to know your dog's temperament. So them them not liking somebody is an automatic issue as long as it's not like aggressive, not like Kingston ain't aggressive. He just ain't gonna fuck with you. <laughs> He's just gonna be like, okay, whatever. Me mug. He's like a cat. I hate that. It took <laughs> so long for me to admit that because I hate cats. And when On Point said that, I was so against it. But the more that I pay attention to his behaviors, I'm like, I got a damn cat. And it took her getting Remy to recognize the gap between Kingston's behavior and a regular dog's behavior. I thought Rick Kingston was a regular dog. I thought this is how all dogs were. I was like, okay, he's just a little butthole, but that's okay. And so so what is it about Katzen? Well, if that was a regular uh, a dog in your mind, then what was it about cats that was so, so different? Because I feel like cats are... Vindictive, like Kingston. Kingston is just kind of like he's just not gonna really deal with you. He didn't really do like vindictive stuff. I have seen cats like just be assholes. They knock stuff off counters. You know, they they're just oh, they'll 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 definitely do that. But like you know, I uh, my my wife and I uh, years and years ago we had uh, a flat share over in Oxford here, and the the woman that we were sharing the flat with had a cat, and it. You know, there's this image of them being kind of, like you say, vindictive, kind of mean, but also quite graceful. Uh, and this this cat was the most klutzy, stupid animal I think I've ever encountered in my, you know, experience of animal kind. Like, on, on a regular basis, we'd come back from work and it would have got itself jammed between the television and the wall with its front paws on the TV and the you know back paws balancing up on the windowsill. And it would be there for hours because it was terrified of the uh, the the cables that were plugged into the back. I don't know, probably thought there were snakes or something, but, you know, every day you come back and you think, you've done it again, you know, I, 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 I don't even want to help you out of there because you'll never learn. Uh, but 
you know it's, it's that kind of klutzy goofy personality and i think it you know it, you maybe you get more of that on the cat side but i don't know if you can tell i'm a cat guy that's how i look at it it's like he's a on I, point is a cat guy too yeah i fool with cats even I, though he's allergic now at 30 <laughs> i became allergic to cats at 30 that can happen people cats and seafood at the same time so in enjoy and embrace every moment that you eat crab legs and shrimp maybe your last um but I fool with cats. I really like cats. And I look at them more as mischievous. I look at them more like little scientists, I guess. Like they always doing experiments. It's like when they knocking stuff off the table, they like, what is this doing? <laughs> you know? And then they do it and they be like, and they don't have knowledge to do experiments, so they kind of just do it forever. Like, in our science world, we do experiments, we extract the data, and we got it. <laughs> it's like, there's, we can replicate it, but it's really no point. We really kind of know how it works. Cats just never know how it works. They just be like, okay, well, knock this off. And it's like they're experimenting without getting data. So I look at it more as like goofy, like Michael saying, mischievous, and just just silly little motherfuckers. They, they ain't... They ain't really like they ain't clutzy like dogs. Now dogs be fucking stuff up. They really don't be meaning to. For example, so um, my friend got a new dog, and this dog she had two cats. Mm -hmm. So while trying to play with the cats, it's trying to do stuff that cats are trying to do. <laughs> the cats like run up under the table, and this is a pit bull. So this dog. <laughs> This dog tried to run up under the table and damn near flip the whole table over <laughs> just because the dog just is, is trying to be like cats. But, I mean, it's just a different type of dynamic between the pets. Well, I didn't know that. And so, you know, he kept saying that about Kingston when I only had Kingston. And I was like, he's not a cat. Then I got Remy and I was like, oh, this is what dogs are like. Because he will clear. First of all, um, Kingston, they docked his tail. So he, he barely has a tail. And he will, you know, so I've never had to deal with a dog with a real tail before. Remy will clear a table with his fucking tail. And I didn't even realize it. Like, he's just happy and wagging it. And so I'm like, oh, my God, you're going to break it. And he's just like, wiggle, wiggle, wiggle. Like, it doesn't matter to him. He is the goofiest. And I don't know if you've ever seen a German short hair pointer. He's a mix, but he's mo you can tell he's mostly German short hair pointer. He's like a smaller version. They're usually... Males are usually like 75 pounds and he's like right at 50. So he's a smaller version, but um, he has the longest legs. They're very lean dogs because they're um, they're hunting dogs. They, they're bred to hunt. So he's really lean, but he has very long legs. So like he looks bigger than he is because of how lean and tall he is. But because his legs are so long, he's the goofiest dog I've ever seen in my life. Like trips over his own feet. Uh, and he's two now, so he's been in this body for a good while. But and I was like, no, oh, he'll get used to it. No, nope. he's still goofy, bumps into stuff, runs into stuff. Like it, it was a, a real eye opener for what like other people with dogs have been experiencing because I've had like a cat dog for years. Kingston's will be twelve this year, and he has been that way his whole life. Like he was always not. He wants to. He'll cuddle with you when he wants to. And any other time, he's like, fuck off me. What are you doing? <laughs> like, leave me alone. Um, he, like, stays to himself. He's a cat, basically. And a, a little doggy body. So, know your dog's temperament, I guess, is the last thing I have. Well, I'm done. Okay. 
The other questions that we had actually are for Michael. They're not for us. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so um, we talk about government name podcasts all the time, Shogun and Cole Jackson. And so Shogun had a few questions. One um, is that we had mentioned that you are a comedian. And he wanted to know how difficult it is for you in this um, this society of like being politically correct and people getting you know being a, um, deemed to be more sensitive. Like he he wanted to know if you have trouble or if you have a word that you're going to go too far with a joke and it's going to offend somebody. Um. So so I think if I'm uh, you know if I'm writing material to to uh, to take on stage I'll certainly give it more consideration than I would uh, a joke that I was just sharing my friends at home or you know um uh, saying in a uh, to to a a, a non an, uh, anonymous audience I guess um so my rule of thumb in my head is if I'm writing a joke about anything you know if I'm punching down in any way I assume there's someone who's the butt of that joke in the audience when I'm saying it and I think to myself look would would I be upset or would I have a bad time if I was going to a comedy show uh, and you know for instance uh, earlier on in our dialogue we were talking about uh, breeding pugs and I said you know it'd almost be like an alien is um, picking out someone with dwarfism and saying I want to accentuate that uh, and I, I suppose if I was going to say that on stage I might then go well if if someone in the audience had dwarfism and they were uh, and they heard me say that or make that reference, how how would I how would I put that in a way where uh, it would um, I don't know but be it it it'd be more inclusive I guess um, so I'd I'd probably say something you know I'd emphasize that the point I'm making is that the uh, I'm trying to say that they're accentuating things that aren't necessarily beneficial to uh, being a human versus me saying uh, if you've got dwarfism then you're less than human or you know you're you're you're, you're a bad person in some way um, but in terms of the subject matter that it's possible to address there's there's not a lot there's not a lot that you can't uh, talk about really um, I, I hear a lot about people being offended by stuff and people being upset and certainly comedians every now and then if it's I don't know, a slow news day someone will come along and feign uh, shock and horror at some innocuous comment that someone made during a stand-up performance which always gets me because whatever they've said it's clearly a joke um, <laughs> they're, they're, they're professional joke tellers standing on the joke stage and people have paid to come and listen to jokes and then all of a sudden you've taken something seriously it's kind of ridiculous but uh, yeah I, I think the important thing is if you're discussing a sensitive topic and you know sex death politics are generally the ones where people start to get a bit upset talk about it with respect toward the subject matter so if you're talking about death you've got to have respect for people in the audience that might be grieving um, and that doesn't mean you can't address it and can't talk about it you've just got to be careful about about how you do it um, and I think generally speaking audiences are far less likely to be offended by anything um, than uh, than you might expect um, you know I, I've done uh, my most recent gig was here uh, it was in Cheltenham uh, which is like quite a white middle class uh, countryside area um, you know it's about seven miles away from where I live uh, and yeah I mean I was I was 
you know, m- making jokes about the fact that I'm uh, mixed race. I was making sort of jokes about sex, uh, jokes about uh, being a father and how gross children are. I was, you know, dropping swear words in left, right, and centre in in a venue where normally you don't do that because people tend to get quite upset. But there was no issue whatsoever. Everyone, everyone had a good time. I hope, uh, and I was laughing the whole way through. So it's, uh, yeah, no, it's it's okay. Just, uh, yeah, ninety percent of the time when I hear people saying, "Oh, this is, you know, it's it's too PC now. I wish we could go back to the old days." It tends to be because the jokes they're telling are out and out racist. <laughs> like you know, you just you kind of listen to them go. Oh, that's not a joke or, or that's only funny if you think women are shit or that's only funny you know so uh, yeah I've, I've rambled on a bit there but uh, no that's, that's good input I was wondering uh, uh, with that do you see a difference between I guess I guess how you see PC culture in America is developing versus PC culture in the UK is there a difference or is this just been this universal sweep of how people have started to address when they become offended by something that's said. So I guess I, I think a big part of it is uh, something you've talked about in the podcast before, uh, but it was, it was specifically as uh, as regards to to race relations, where you've said that uh, for for a lot of it, um, the issue with you know, predominantly white countries and how they address uh, anything to do with political correctness is it's difficult to see. Um, the uh, it's difficult to see from other people's perspective. So until you know something is, uh, until you've experienced something, it's difficult to understand how it is an issue. Um, and I think broadly speaking, in the US and in the UK, that can be seen in this kind of top-down approach to a given societal ill or a, a given push towards political correctness. Uh, so to, to to stick with the the race example, for instance, um, what happened. Uh, broadly in the UK is we've said right there's a lot of stuff in the media and there's a a lot of stuff being advertised that uh, promotes this inequality of races so what we need to do is to get rid of of that because those are the symptoms that we can see Uh, but because the the underlying issue the you know the the disease itself is more this sort of insidious culturally ingrained stuff that's going on all that does is it just kind of pushes it into this um, implicit place so the problem i racism still exists but it exists implicitly it exists more silently and in, in and in many ways that makes it a lot harder to address than when it's out and uh, it, it's everywhere and and that i think is what people have a problem with with pc culture uh, because you've you've kept the mindset there because you haven't gone towards the root causes so you know economic inequalities um education uh cultural isolation within a a society those are all pretty much by the wayside but now you you can't make certain jokes so you get people that are in this position of you know oh it's it's pc culture i can't make jokes about uh, trans people or i can't make jokes about gay people or about this that or the other and there's no nuance and it's not because it's addressed from the symptoms down rather than from the causes up uh, it's, uh, yeah I, I think our two nations kind of had something uh, in common there um, but uh, yeah but political correctness as it uh, as it goes in the UK uh, uh, it's, it's it's a tricky one um, I, I've seen uh, I, I've seen 
where where I live at the moment in the country, it's almost behind where I come from originally down in London because it's a lot more multicultural. Um, it's it's a real mixing pot, you know. Uh, growing up, my friends were uh, let me think Chilean, Russian, Bulgarian, Japanese, uh, Jamaican. Uh, you know, a broad. I think we had, we had one friend who was uh, English for several different. You know, several generations back, and his nickname was White John because it was this kind of, you know, it was this uh, co- this concept that it was. Although in the uh, overall statistics, white people in the majority in um, Croydon, it's still, you know, the the vast majority of the kids that we knew anyway at the performing arts college I went to were all mixed race. Um, and so then moving into a predominantly white area like I'm I'm living in now, the concept of political correctness is more of this alien. It's an annoying thing that millennials like to do, rather than you know a, 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 pro- a progression of society and a pro- progression of culture. That's kind of how it is here. From I think the South here is viewed the same way as the countryside is there. Um, <laughs> and I think yeah, you're right. When you don't have to, when you live around a group of people that are just like you, and when you haven't for years had to consider what how what you say affects other people. When you have all these other groups that are around now, and now it does seem like it's this millennial, like, why are y'all so upset about this? You know, people haven't been upset about it before, but it's been like, because you've been around people like you. <laughs> um, yeah. And it's been okay before. Yeah, I've never really understood that, you know, this concept of, oh, what, why is it such a... It's not like anyone's made it illegal to say or think anything. It's just, we. it's almost... The, the vast majority of it is just people are more comfortable in saying I don't agree with what you're saying or they're, they're more comfortable in saying it's it's fucked up that you've said that um, you know uh, I, the, my uh, my father's a you know uh, a, a white man he was uh, born in 1950 and his view on things like race and, and immigration and all, all that kind of stuff like some he has these uh, what was he saying the other week? It was like, oh, you can't say what you want anymore. It's like, no, you absolutely can. You can you can say whatever you want. We do have, you know, freedom of speech. You can get on whatever platform you like and say whatever you like, but the people that hear it are under no obligation to like it or to like you. Um, and that's really what the, the change is for me. Yeah. I think that, yeah, I think the trade-off for progress where you have oppressed cultures is that culture becoming emboldened enough to say I'm not going to take this thing anymore or I'm not going to take that thing anymore hey that what you've been saying is offensive and I think the fact that the cultures that oppress have been able to get away with saying and doing what they want for so long that the way they frame people actually standing up for themselves as being too sensitive because the reality is they want to continue to be able to say what they've been saying forever. Because the thing you got to look at is like for a, for cultures that oppress, progress is always going to take away from the oppressors. Hmm. It's just no way around it. Like they lost their white only water fountains. <laughs> they lost their we can only sit in the rest, restaurants without black people or, or brown people. We They lost being able to sit in front of like the oppressive cultures are going to continue to lose as long as progress. Like, the journey to equality 
for them has to mean they got to accept less. They're going to have to accept less roles, less jobs, less <laughs> privileges, less everything. And that's how they frame it. The, the, the thing that gets me about it, though, is that that kind of makes sense for people, you know, for instance, for a, uh, a white person that was around during segregation. But for the new generation that was born after that, they haven't lost anything. Like, they're, they're still in the same... Like it's, it, it's, uh, So I was, I was talking... Uh, again, I talk to my father a lot about stuff like this because he's quite conservative and I, I like having a debate-slash-argument about this sort of stuff. But... Um, uh, yeah, so he was talking about the concept of, say, white privilege. Uh, and I was saying, you know, a big chunk of that is that you haven't had to think about it. Um, and, you know, this, this concept of privilege, it isn't that each individual person is born and they're giving vast amounts of money and they're given all this opportunity. Um, because you can still be born poor, whatever race you are, and that's, you know, capitalism makes it so that that's kind of the worst you know, if, if you're super, super poor, you you don't really have any privilege in the the grand scheme of things. But specifically along that race stuff, it's it's not that you have an advantage; it's that you haven't had to consider any disadvantages in that specific context of your life. You know, you can you can still be poor, you can still be disabled, you can still have uh, barriers to achieving what you want and barriers to the um, opportunities that you want. Uh, but on this in this one little corner. Around race, the concept of white, priv white privilege means that you didn't have to consider your race when applying for a job, when introducing yourself to uh, a, a new person. You never had to feel like you were representing your entire community and that your behaviour was being scrutinised in a certain way. And that's a privilege. And the reason it's called a privilege, even though it may not feel like one, is because other people, their normal doesn't include it. So it's it may not feel like a benefit where you're sitting, but trust me, there's people that are sitting in other places, and they look at you and they go, "Wow, you're you're privileged," and it's you know it's um it's okay. I've, I've kind of lost my point a little bit there, but, but uh, yeah, yeah, I've uh, I, I swear that's why I um, offered to be on the show. I thought it would, hopefully if I, if I don't meander too much, but, but I but I totally did. I think um, that uh, and the way I look at it, you know, as a black man, is from the lens of slavery. It's like white privilege in America it is, uh, and I don't know enough UK history to know what brown or slavery or any of that stuff look like, but the lens I look at it from is that even though like white privilege doesn't guarantee you have something, it guarantees that your lineage had the opportunity to obtain these things, but just because your you know, 10 times great-grandfather fucked off his opportunities for liquor and prostitutes don't, <laughs> don't mean that you know today your lineage didn't have that opportunity mine only started having the opportunity two three generations ago you know so white privileges means you your your lineage was not ever held back even if we go back through generations and you didn't have to start at some point like you didn't start playing monopoly after all of the pieces were you know, after all of the land was acquired, or all the railroads were bought, everything is because now every other culture that comes in after that monopoly game was started, every space we land on, we gotta pay. Whether that be through racism, whether that be through unequal opportunities in education, whether that be through redlining and being thrown in ghettos and communities that don't have resources, like we stepped into the game like this. And that's what that's what white privilege means. It just means that I mean, today you might be stepping on a uh, a space that you owe money to, but it's very likely, and you have a higher likelihood that 
you own those pieces, <laughs> you know, or at least your uncle or somebody you know own those pieces where you can be connected to it at some point, you know. I'm going to interject really fast because we've basically gotten into the other question that Shogun had, which was what are the what are race relations like in the UK? Oh, uh, well, like I say, we're, I'm I'm often astounded by what I read uh, in the news coming out of the US compared to, you know, where, where certainly from from where I come from. Um, so Croydon, it was uh, it had its problems, you know, <laughs> it was, uh, if you're if you're from London and, uh, you know, you say you're people talk to me from London and say, oh, where are you from? And I go like, oh, from from Croydon. Uh, it's it's one of those. I think the worst reaction I ever had is someone put their phone in their pocket, um, and I don't know if that was like a subliminal, th- you know, or sorry, a subconscious thing. But I sort of know. I'm like, mm, really, okay. Uh, but in terms of race relations, I mean, it's it's it, it wasn't perfect, but it felt it felt okay, you know. Um, it, it wasn't as outwardly problematic as I'm, I'm seeing uh, certainly in the news from from the states uh, and I, I think it's it's still a big problem we've got problems uh, stemming back from the old class system that we had so there was this deeply entrenched kind of working class middle class upper class concept um, and race during um, the first sort of main instance of mass immigration that f- affects our current society, which was, it was just after uh, World War Two, uh, there was an issue because all of the um, sort of uh, other races that were coming into the country were doing so at those lower classes, um, and it's it, it, therefore they've got the in. in the the racism is the first hurdle, but all the so this sort of secondary classism as well, um, which has taken a long time to uh, to to try and cure. Um, but what one of the benefits of that is um, uh, that as classism is or the class system has broken down, it also has helped people to move. Um, you know, it's had a knock on effect with with race relations. So I think that, yeah, they're not they're not great, but. Uh, I'm I'm pretty proud of where I come from in in terms of how uh, racial racial integration goes on and you know crossing cultural boundaries and that kind of thing. Um, yeah, uh, and uh, and certainly you know the people I I know from the states are all uh, military, so they've travelled around the world quite a bit. So there's you know, there's no barrier there, um, hardly at all. But I I know. Those are just the guys I know, and there's a lot of a lot of Trump supporters over at the at the base. So, <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, you mentioned being mixed race, and we talked about this. Um, but just for anybody who may not know, um, what what are you mixed with? Uh, so I'm half um, I'm half uh, British English, and I'm, I'm half Filipino. So my uh, my mother was born in uh, a local Snorte, um, which is about. 6,000 miles east of where I'm currently sitting, give or take. Um, Was that difficult for you growing up, being of mixed race? (laughs) Well, I think I mentioned on one of the the live um, streams that you guys did that, well, my my mother passed away when I was very young, like before my first birthday. Um, And so I didn't really have, I mean, I had connection with the Filipino community in that you know, her friends would still see me from time to time, and my god sisters and god brothers were, um, were were pinoy themselves. But I 
I, I sort of got, I, 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 you know, everything about me, my my uh, my tastes, my accent, um, the way I hold myself, it tends to be quite white British. Um, so I had this kind of real race identity crisis as I was uh, growing up. You know, I, I when I was a young boy, I viewed myself as a as a white kid, and I think my grandmother, who was, you know, not great with, with the concept of other races. Um, she always had the view that if I acted that way and I was as white as possible, then it would be in the long run a benefit um, for me because you know, and I think a lot of parents are, are guilty of this um, that she was raising uh, or helping to raise me by the uh, you know to live in the world that she grew up in, um, and I think that's you tend to do that as you, you know as, as a parent, and it's, it's something you need to to kind of watch out for is you're, you're not raising your kids to live in the world that you know you're you're raising them to live in the world of tomorrow so you got to you got to bear that in mind um so yeah gr- growing up uh, it i i didn't have too much of a problem because i was mixed race a lot of the time i i didn't pass as white but i passed as one of the normal ones if you know what i mean <laughs> like i i've heard that a few times in my life it's like uh, oh you know i'm half filipino right and like, no 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 you're yeah but you're basically white aren't you all right, dude. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's only been a couple of times that uh, I've I've properly had a day where I'm like, well, that person treated me like shit for that reason, um, or yeah, I get called chink or something. It's it's very very few and far between. Uh, there, I, I was recently on holiday in Pope. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yes. Uh, yes. I, I mean, I'm sure. I'm obviously because I'm not Asian and I'm not. I don't really. I don't think I have any Asian. So I don't, you know, I don't, I'm not around them to see somebody say that, but that's just so funny that that's still a word that is used. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's, I've, I've had, uh, I've had, I've had chink, I've had, uh, I had zipper head one time. Um, I didn't know what that was and I had to look it up, which, which was stupid. stupid. Can you explain? Because we don't, I don't know. Do you know it's, yeah. yeah. Well, I, I heard it. I didn't even know what it meant. I didn't know that it was like a racial epithet or what was, what was going on. And uh, it turns out it's, it, comes from i think the vietnam war um because if you shoot a farmer in the head with a 50 cal it's like a, a zipper oh man <laughs> the, and, and i felt stupid at the time because i'd kind of gone away and offended myself because uh, in, in the moment the guy said it and i'm like oh that's fucking stupid that doesn't mean anything and then i went away and went hey <laughs> <laughs> you son of a bitch yeah <laughs> so i, I kind of learned a lesson there like don't, <laughs> you don't sometimes ignorance is bliss um but yeah it's it's been, it's been super few and far between and um it, in the case that it has happened it's been exceptional circumstances and it's it's, it's not like an everyday uh, an everyday thing um, and, and, and also owing in part to the US there's a lot of positive stereotypes about Asian people uh, which I you know <laughs> really ambivalent about I don't know how to uh, how to feel about that but I guess when they were trying to backtrack from the whole concept of yellow peril and all of this stuff they painted this picture of Asian people being the ideal immigrant and being hard working and uh, being really good at maths and stuff and it like as a concept it just caught on like wildfire so uh, that's yeah, yeah. Uh, not, not particularly. particularly. <laughs> <laughs> and I think, as I said in one of my letters, you know, I'm Filipino. When most people think Asian, they think Japanese and ancient culture and amazing, beautiful tea ceremonies. It's like, no, no, I, I've, I've just got family members that live in a breeze block hut. You know, <laughs> it's not the, it's not, the, it's not the same thing. That's 
Um, I think those are the only two that Shogun had mm-hmm. as far as um, did somebody I feel like somebody said something last night when we were all at dinner that had a question. Oh, Brexit. They wanted to know about Brexit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah, it's a shit show. Um I was uh you know, I guess we had I talked about Brexit before and then the last thing I mentioned was Brexit was going to hell in a handbasket. <laughs> it's like nobody can agree on anything. It's like, from my understanding, it's like they want all the benefits that comes along with being in the EU, but they want the independence of not being in the EU. And clearly the EU is like, who the fuck y'all talking to if y'all think y'all finna get that? <laughs> yeah, know? I mean, yeah, you've pretty much got it there. <laughs> It's. I, I think that for me, the most frustrating thing is how it's all come about, um, and the you know the ugliness that it's really highlighted, and uh, and it's it, you know it's, it's changed my opinion of my fellow countrymen, which is, which is sad. Yeah, yeah, right. You sort of walk around being like, oh yeah, everyone's okay, and then they elect a angry face drawn on an orange ball sack and you're like well okay <laughs> maybe some of you could <laughs> there's, a, there's a lot more uh, short sighted racists out there than I realised um, but yeah but Brexit was similar uh, but basically uh, one year the, the, the really liberal um, party we got out here so we, we've got we haven't got a, te- a two party system technically uh, and there's this sort of uh, the first and second parties in, in all elections uh, basically the Labour Party who are the Liberals and the Conservative Party who are the Conservatives and um, there was this there's, there's a third party called the Liberal Democrats and they're a little bit more liberal than Labour uh, and one year the Liberal vote split across Labour and uh, the Liberal Democrats uh, so we got a hung parliament and the Liberal Democrats teamed up with the Conservatives for some reason and uh, fast forward uh, everything went hideously wrong for the Liberal Democrats because they were teamed up with this the right-wing party, so they lost all of their votes, um, and most of the votes that left from that got sort of uh, upset with the whole situation, and so they moved across to the right wing, and then the Conservatives were in power, and they didn't do very well, uh, and then in order to stay in power, they decided to court the racist vote because this super far-right party was also starting to drag away some of their um, their voters and so they said right to, a, to appease all of the screaming racists out there what we're going to do is going to promise this referendum um, it's not about immigration obviously but I think we all know it's about immigration um, uh, and so they made this promise to hold this referendum, it worked it kept them in power but then they actually ran the referendum which was a bit, bit short sighted perhaps and, and then 52% of the voting public decided to uh, to do this thing that no one really understood Um yeah, uh, and in, and in terms of why it was voted for, it's it it, it it's all of those really frustrating reasons as to what the, the you know the problems with democracy in general. Um, the Leave campaign had a really Facebook campaign, for instance. <laughs> yeah, that was. I reckon that's one of the main reasons they won. So it's uh, yeah, it's it's very upsetting, and and certainly for the the time that the campaign was running, there was no information. It was just screaming and lies. Uh, yeah. Pretty much our last election went. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, but we had it on both sides. Like neither side was making any sense. Both sides were just, were just. It was like um, really clickbaity. 
uh, I guess is a, a, a way of putting it. But it was yeah, very very thin on facts and very um, very high on emotions. Did it really play out that so many people just thought this was shit that they didn't take it seriously? Oh, oh yeah, that was a big chunk of people. Um, so that, that was a phenomenon of what's known as the protest vote. Uh, which I think, in the context of voting in a democracy, is a bit petulant. But you know, um, yeah, there, there were people that were voting to leave uh, just to show the the government that that they were serious about being upset about the current state of the country. Um, as to how many people that was their reasoning, I, you know, you can you can look at the polls and things, but there's no way of really really knowing for sure. Um, uh, and yeah. Uh, and also, the, it was a referendum. It wasn't actually like an election where you've got to take the vote as, oh, excuse me, um, take the vote as uh, gospel. It was a referendum where it's, it's, it's meant to be, you know, the the just a, kind of getting an idea for what people are thinking. So uh, it was only based on a, a single conservative promise that they would take the uh, result of the referendum to heart that that it actually happened. Um, yeah, and there's loads of stuff about it. Like the the fact that as soon as the the Leave campaign won, the prime minister quit his job <laughs> you know, immediately. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that that'd be like you know Trump getting elected and the entire Senate just going, well, that's it, we're fucked. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Has any of what happened for you or for anybody you know translated into? day-to-day issues or things that you see have changed in your life um yeah yeah and unfortunately so uh uh my oops, sorry it's knocking my own microphone uh my uh my sister uh was in um was in a pub uh, a couple of weeks after the um referendum result came in and you know this uh political commentator leant across and told her she would have to go home and, and all of this stuff uh, which, yeah, um, it's like, yeah, okay, A, I was, you know, she was born in Croydon, and <laughs> B, the Philippines is a little bit outside of Europe, so, you know, <laughs> it's, I don't, don't see how it's going to have much of an effect. Um, but yeah, that, that happened, and it, it, in general, uh, you know, anyone I know that's come from a European background, it's just, it's just uncomfortable. Because um, uh, we have this thing... Uh, you know, called free movement, where it it basically works like moving from one EU country to another is it's like moving from state to another. You know, we're we're, we're separate countries with separate laws and separate governments, but we've got this this freedom of movement that allows us to to move around and study in other places, work in other places, um, and you know all, all of this kind of stuff. And there's millions of Brits that live in other countries across Europe, and you know there's millions of Europeans that live in in the UK, and all of a sudden this vote came out and it's it i if want to know that's in that position it felt kind of personal it's 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 like it's like waking up uh, um it's like it's like waking up and everyone's had a referendum and they've voted to shut down the conversation con artist podcast you know it's like oh <laughs> i didn't i don't know you all felt like that um so uh so yeah yeah it's it has caused some some chaos on a on a personal level um and there's there's like things have happened in, in like local news and stuff like that uh, much like with Trump where a certain undesirable element of society has felt empowered yeah they feel like they've got to win um, hmm. watching that whole thing our, our last election because I know um, 
it seemed like the whole world was kind of watching it, and I feel like we looked like just a bunch of jackasses the whole time. Uh, I, it, it was, it was uh, scary. <laughs> I mean, it was. It, I guess I'd, I'd say it was a, a reminder that none of us are that far removed from electing another demagogue psycho, and you know, we, we all like to think, "Oh, we're too civilized," or, I, and, you know, I've I've been online and I've seen people talking about the Trump presidency, so I know that there's this whole thing where liberals aren't allowed to compare him to Hitler because it upsets conservatives and supporters and stuff like that, but. As an example of a demagogue and you know how it relates to me, the most recent one in my memory is Adolf Hitler. You know that's the one I learned about in school, and yeah, I I, I heard about his you know his beer hall putsch and his you know, how he got to power and Kristallnacht and all of this stuff that he did to 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 get to this position where he was a dictator and uh, he did all these dreadful things. And and I remember as a kid, you know all of the. All of the, the the ugly stuff that happened after he got into power aside, just just looking at how he got there in the first place, I remember thinking, how is that possible? How does an entire nation not notice that he was going to do this? Like he never made any, you know. Okay, he reined it in a little bit, but he was clearly a bit of a whack job and clearly a massive racist as he was coming up, and he clearly hated Jewish people. And you you know you read news articles from the time saying things like oh you know he he only says that to get votes in the ballot box he's not actually gonna do this to people or he's not actually gonna do that um, but it still it just didn't make any sense and and now with with Trump and and to a lesser extent with Brexit as well I feel like I've kind of lived through it and I've seen how quickly people can be made to to vote for things and and and, and support things that are are really quite abhorrent and um, and nonsensical. That's the thing that really gets me. You know, I, c I can accept that people have a different opinion to me, uh, and and in doing so, I can go like, okay, well, I don't like Trump, but I I'm not I'm not his target demographic, you know, and someone else with a different opinion might like all that bullshit that he does and the fact that he's a sex offender. That might be their thing, but then. Even then, I, I go. I try and put myself in that position and go like, okay, what I love is racism and sex offending. How do I feel about Trump? He hasn't kept any of his promises. <laughs> why? Yeah. He, why? He determined because the one big thing that he promised was this damn wall, and he <laughs> so focused on this wall because he knows that that was his one huge campaign promise. And all of these idiots that think that that's actually going to make a difference are really expecting this wall to be built. Yeah, yeah. The, the the wall's a great example of it, right? Because it's, it's even when he was campaigning, me as a person living, you know, on the other side, well, a quarter of the way around the planet, uh, completely. Not, I mean, just looking at a, at the globe and looking at it and going, well, that's not going to work. <laughs> it's ridiculous. He, he might as well have promised that he was going to paint the moon blue. Like it's just never going to happen. And 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 people supported it. Like okay, and then they thought it was going to actually occur it was yeah it, 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 was, it was very weird watching from the other side uh, um, uh, of the pond although, although I must admit there was a little part of me that went okay we've done this whole we got some weird stuff with the whole Brexit situation going on and we're not looking particularly clever and then you guys elected Trump and I was like okay that's cool we can we can we, can, we got something to hide behind for a little while 
<laughs> I could totally see it, it. You know, being here through it was surreal. Like it just, it felt like it wasn't. It just wasn't realistic. Like that, this was actually happening. That you know, people had actually voted him in. And then these last few years with him being president have been even more surreal where it's just like, really? Like every day I feel like something happens to where you're like, really? Like it just, it still hasn't settled. Um, And I wouldn't, you know, I haven't counted out him having a second term, unfortunately. I, I just, I don't have faith in my fellow Americans now. So I wouldn't be surprised if he got voted in for a second term. I really wouldn't. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, I, I really hope that he's in some way, uh, like, uh, arrested or indicted or just some kind of something happens to get him out of office, uh, if nothing else. Um, and it's it, it's just got to the point where he seems to have broken so many laws, and and obviously as well, and it's it, it's it's really strange. I feel like if any other president had done even one of the crazy things, like mad, mad, crazy things that he's come out with, um, they w- it would have been a scandal. And it, yeah, this. <laughs> um, this is what gerrymandering has done in our political system, mm. um, where uh, politicians can basically draw their own districts. Yeah, they draw districts where. Uh, the people that are likely to vote for them are in. So their districts are now, instead of 50-50 Democrat-Republican, it's like 80% Republican. But what that does is it draws out people to challenge you in the more extremes. So gerrymandering been around for, for 50, 60 years, and now it's created this very, very isolated party, like completely polarized. And you got these people who are so polarized to one end that they're willing to accept the shit Trump putting out to maintain that power and to hopefully move into the, their version of those extremes one day. Um, but I think what we learned in the Cohen trial, we learned that Trump has done a lot of shady shit financially. Not only that, but Cohen is just straight snitching. He was like, <laughs> they were like, uh, so who would we talk to to find out more about this? He was like, okay, Weiselberg, uh, this person, that person. And then he would be like, and AOC, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez got out there and pretty much made him admit that, yeah, he was doing some fraudulent stuff with these businesses. And uh, we found out that he wrote a check to Cohen for $35,000 for for paying that hush money to Stormy Daniels. And that was done during his presidency. That was in August of 2017. So this was a way to skirt around finance laws. The problem with him doing that is that if you pay for anything in a campaign that's related to the campaign, you have to tell people that you're paying for this for the campaign. He didn't pay for it during the campaign. He paid for it outside and then was still doing that business while he was the president. So that's a big problem. But what's happening right now, which Cohen mentioned a couple of times, is that he's cooperating with... Um, the Southern District in New York, um, which is the agency in America that uh, goes after financial crimes. And they are good at what they do. And he's cooperating with them, which means that they are likely trying to put a case up against Donald Trump and his financial crimes in New York. Probably not related to the financial crimes 
whatever he's done as president of the government or whatever, but as it pertains to any financial crisis he had before. Now, the problem is, which which is has to be figured out, is the statute of limitations. Oh, my camera just did something weird. The statute of limitations on financial crimes in New York is five years. However, they have a rule that freezes that statute of limitation. If they are in an unprosecutable position. So him being the president right now actually freezes the amount of time that the statute of limitations would normally run up on on anybody else that wasn't uh, charged in those five years. So what they're likely doing is building a case against Donald Trump and his financial crimes, probably hinging upon what Cohen has said and utilizing Cohen. Now, for Cohen's crimes, do you know how much time he was supposed to get? 70 years. <laughs> he got three. <laughs> now, him cooperating with the Southern District in New York can potentially reduce that. And you know what? Every Republican in that hearing was just trying to discredit him as a liar. Like, if he lied to the Supreme Court and Congress and everybody already, not the Supreme Court, but if he lied to Congress already, how can we believe anything he says? And a Democrat got on and said, that would discredit any RICO case we have because <laughs> it depends on people flipping. That could, like, you can't you say that once a person lies, they can never be honest again. Because that would take away a lot of the cases that we try in this, in this Congress and that we have uh debating about in this congress if we don't trust people that flip you know and that's how you know it's just a tactic for them to support trump but uh they the idea was that he may get three years and i'm just gonna go over some of the stuff that i heard in there that was a problem to me one republican said that you're masquerading and charading around and it looks like it might be for you to get a book deal. Can you promise to us today in Congress <laughs> that you won't have a book deal or a movie deal or anything related to this? And I'm like, what the hell? What kind of shit is that? They said that a, said few, that times a few times as well. As well. It wasn't he just said no. <laughs> and then another one said, if you have any book deals or money, do you promise to donate those proceeds <laughs> to somebody else? And he was like, no, <laughs> I won't do that. <laughs> and then at some point, Cohen was like, it's funny that y'all brought me here um, and no Republican senator in the room has asked me any questions about Donald Trump. Nobody has asked me any questions. And they proceeded to not ask questions about Trump. It was just, Cohen held his own. I believe he was credible. He already had the time for the lies that he had previously, so he had no reason to lie. Mm -hmm. And this shit looks horrible for Trump. <laughs> but I so think bad. the reason why he flipped or the reason why he's snitching, Trump, and this is what he doesn't realize, Trump does not really, he's not a man that imbues loyalty from the people around him, right? If I'm facing 70 years and all I have to do is snitch on this horrible person who's been horrible to everybody ever since he's probably been in the world. He's not somebody you're going to do 70 years for. He don't realize that, like, as horrible of a person as he is, anybody on his staff at any point could flip on him because he's a terrible person. Like, he's not... He's not somebody that realizes you need to treat the people who can be a downfall well. He don't do that. Like he's an <laughs> asshole. So I feel like it's not surprising to me that Cohen is flipping on him. 
And I won't be surprised that anybody else comes forward because he's a terrible person. He feels like just because of who he is, you're supposed to be loyal to him. And that is not how loyalty works at all. And he's learning it. I mean, well, he's not learning it because he's a narcissist and he, he would never be able to conceptualize this. But we are seeing the uh, effects of that. He's not somebody that people want to be loyal to. You're not going to do 70 years for Trump. And, Trump, and Cohen brought up Trump's racism and said that he is even worse in private. And I mean, he's pretty uh, bad in public. He's horrible in public. And he gave some examples of stuff that Trump has said to him while he he said one of them like they they were driving through a black neighborhood and um, Donald Trump said only black people can live in this kind of environment. And yeah, and he said he said more of the. Um, more of the well, he says the most. I can't remember what he said now, but he also said that. Uh, so Mark Meadows, which is a, a Republican um, congressman, brought out uh, a black woman named Lynn Patton. Didn't allow her to speak. He just basically said, "Hey, Cohen, since you're saying Trump is racist, I got a black woman right here who I'm not even going to let speak, who works for Trump, who said that she doesn't believe that Trump is racist. Now you can go sit down." <laughs> like, can you imagine that in any other trial? Like, you, you say my my client is a murderer, but uh, right here is a person he knows that he hasn't murdered. <laughs> Seriously, and the and, and the reality is, she was the wedding planner for Eric uh, Trump's wedding. Who, once he became the president, he gave her a job. It's a horrible example. She is literally in Trump's pocket. Like the Trump paid her to do something for them at some point. Like, and then he gave her a job. Like, why would she ever? If she said anything to the contrary, she is losing her job today. We know how Trump operates. In in, in in like the murderer analogy, that'd be the equivalent of them then saying, "Okay, yeah, but this this one person that he hasn't murdered." He did try to beat her to death. It's just, it's, she just survived. You know, that, oh god, it's ridiculous. And, and then now, now, so another uh, Rashida Talib. This is another senator. She came out and was like, "Well, it was a black lady." She came out and said, "It ain't cool to parade somebody out in front of you for you know as a black woman. I don't like to see that." She was kind of calm about it. Rashida Talib. She came out and said, she basically said, Senator, anybody who parades a black woman to, to make a, a racist seem less racist is racist. <laughs> you know? I'm not racist. I have this one black friend. Come over here. Look, my black friend. Like, yeah, what? yeah. <laughs> now, this, is what she... this is what he said to Cummings, which is the dude who was running it. He was like, first off, I have Cummings is my friend. <laughs> Tell him. <laughs> and then he was like, and Cummings came out like caping a little bit. I didn't like that, but he came out basically said, "You know what? People don't like me for this, but I tell them that you one of my best friends, you know." <laughs> and so he came out and he said, "So I want this stricken from the record." He said, "I have brown nieces and nephews." <laughs> <laughs> it's like the idea that having brown people in your family and around you mean you can't be racist somehow. But then he said he wanted it stricken from the record right before. He did. He so was ashamed of it. Like because well, he thought he thought that she was calling him racist, and she said what he did was a racist act, what? and that's how white people conflate 
being called a racist with doing something that's racist. I mean, you can do something that's racist and not really be a racist, or you can be a racist and never do shit that's racist. I mean, is 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 the nuance that exists within it is is problematic in terms of we can't have this conversation because he gets so up in arm about possibly being called a racist when he just used that old trope of I got a black friend. <laughs> I never want to be that black friend. Like, I never want to be the person that they're like, Red, come over here and tell them I'm not racist. Like, I hope I'm not friends with anybody that would do that. Especially not on a national stage. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I was, I mean, is, and, and so, wow. they really, he, ba- Tashida, uh, Rashida Talib basically had to go back on her, uh, her words and was like, if the senator thought I was calling him a racist, that's not what I meant to do. I apologize. And I'm like, you shouldn't apologize for that, but you know she got to play nice. She is new in Congress, and and you know it is what it is. But that try that was something else to see. I mean, and Cohen call, call held his own like he was roasting their ass. You know what I'm saying? They was like they were like uh, it was one point where they said something like, um, "Has anybody ever offered you money to do something or something something?" And he was like, "No." Are you offering? <laughs> I was like, he came in here with supersized balls. He came in here with go to jail balls on. I'm going to jail. I'll talk to these hoes how I want to. <laughs> what I thought was interesting was that in, in this kind of interview, he seemed, you know, he had the information behind him. He was communicating his point well. He wasn't being swayed. But when he had Trump's message behind him, which was just a, like a really bad lie, whenever you saw him on TV, he just. He seemed like a crazy person, and like his, his arguments were not about, you know, oh no, I'm right. It was just, I'll, I'll just keep saying what I think over and over again, and if you disagree with me, I'll say it slightly louder. Um, and I think that really says a lot about the kind of stuff he was being forced to say. It was, a, it was you can defend it, like, <laughs> it, it's just a shit show right now. But that was an interesting... Yeah, I, I and, hope it, and the sad thing is, is I don't even know what it's gonna do because it, we it, have I had hope, presidents I, impeached for less. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a lot less. Yeah, like a, a lot. <laughs> I feel, I feel like Trump has done a lot of things that are individually bigger than other things that presidents have been impeached for. The, the thing is, that's why they have been adamant about not putting Trump in front of important people. <laughs> Because it ain't like Bill, Bill Clinton didn't get impeached for having a blowjob. He got impeached because he lied to Congress about the blowjob. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's what it was. But it's so minor. Like I mean, it is minor, but it don't matter what kind of lie you tell the Congress. That's an impeachable offense. So, do we really think Trump going to sit in front of them and tell the truth? Know. He's not. And he if he does, the truth is. it's going to be a problem. Because yeah. his I mean, truth got to be about fucked something up. Stupid. Still. He doesn't know what the truth is. He has no concept of what that even means. His truth is whatever he feels like when he woke up that day. If you if you imagine that, if you know you're you're Trump's handler and he's about to go and speak to Congress, and you have to sit down with him for a good you know twenty thirty minutes before he walks through the door and explain to him what the truth is. (laughs) It's events that occur. Yeah. And it's not even anything to do with the question they asked him. He just walks in there and goes, ah, the sky is down. And you're like, oh, well, fuck. <laughs> that lasted three minutes. 
If even now, it's just it's, <laughs> it's surreal. But that's why all of them are smart enough to know they don't need to be in a position to have to tell him that before walking into the room. <laughs> They're just gonna keep him from ever walking into the room. <laughs> it's two years down. He's not walking into that room. <laughs> that's the smart move. Yeah, I would yeah. handle. I'd be like, I will strangle your ass to unconsciousness before you go into that room and just take my prison sentence because all of us are not about to go down with you <laughs> because of your bullshit. Donald Donald Trump is not allowed in the truth room. <laughs> it's just not. Yeah, don't, don't even tell him where it is. Him out at all costs. Yeah. I feel like that that would be a way he would get assassinated. They would assassinate him before they would let him go. Yeah. Into the room. Yeah. Take him down. He's turned the knob. <laughs> Like, there's no way. Um, but I think that's it for the yeah listener. I don't think anybody else had any other. Um, and that was a long time. So we got some. It was. We got a short period of time. Not short. We got about 35 minutes left to go through uh, some of the stories that we got. Uh, if you have a question you would like for us to answer on the show, you can send it to our Gmail account, which is conversationconartists at gmail.com. Or you can find us on Facebook, Conversation Con Artists, and send it to us that way. Um, I'm gonna start with something lighthearted. Um, did you see the crabs that the people got to? I did. And this happened in <laughs> Alabama. So for anybody listening that doesn't already know, we live in the great, great, I guess the subjective state of Alabama. And ain't nothing great. It's not. <laughs> On paper, ain't shit great about Alabama. It's just one of those home is where the heart is places. And if it's home and your heart is there, just love it. But on paper, we ain't shit nowhere. We're not shit. Education, nothing, nothing. We're just behind in every way. <laughs> um, so two people arrested for fighting over crab legs at a buffet in Alabama. Uh, this was in Huntsville, which I have family in Huntsville, so I need to call my cousin and just laugh because, you know, just because. Uh, but ironically, there was a police officer that was also at this buffet when the fight broke out. <laughs> So it got broken up pretty pretty quickly. Uh, the woman's name was Jaquita Chiquita Chiquita Jenkins. That is the blackest name. Chiquita like the bananas. Yeah, Jenkins. Just just the whole name is black. It's the very black. <laughs> I, I was thinking uh, Pokemon. Like of, say what? what? So so. <laughs> uh, it went out again. What'd you say? Like Pokemon, like Pokemon when you said it. You said it. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh okay. Uh, the other guys by the name of John Chapman, uh, they went toe to toe with some crab legs. Witnesses say they were using food tongs and swords and throwing plates. Um, apparently, John was waiting in line for ten minutes for the crab legs, and things just got crazy when she tried to cut him. <laughs> First of all, I just I. I'm not going to have crab legs, I feel like, at a place that does buffet-style food. I just, I don't trust it. I just don't. I don't think they would be very good crab legs. I don't know. I don't know. I've never eaten them. Um, And I would never eat them because I'm allergic to them now. But (laughs) if you've ever been to a restaurant, a, a buffet, Chinese buffet, that has crab legs or crawfish... Yeah, they get in those lines and they get they get crazy. It be you can tell people be at their table just looking and looking. And I think the Chinese restaurants be bullshitting on purpose. It ain't like they actually plan on keeping the bar full of crab legs the whole time. 
I think they put like 10 crab legs out every 30 minutes <laughs> on purpose because they trying to maintain they you know they're not trying to spend a bunch of money on crab legs for that that day you're not paying enough for crab legs and it's free entertainment yeah and you have people that just <laughs> sitting there waiting and they get up and run over there I can just I'm just waiting for the day I see that shit go south and somebody in Huntsville saw it so Michael in the UK like how are the buffets in the UK I mean clearly America is fat. But I don't know. <laughs> I don't know the UK's version of, of diet and food and things of that nature. Like, do y'all have some kind of a weight problem, or y'all looking at legislation to stop soda sizes yeah, yeah. and sugars and things? But we're we're catching up. Yeah, <laughs> we're getting that. So uh, I mean, I I I I I thought we had like a, a bit of a problem with food, but I, I can honestly say I've never seen someone, and I, I'm I may have misheard here, but using tongs as swords <laughs> that's that's a that's a great image um, uh, yeah i've not I've, I've never i've never heard of anything like that we have like the chinese um or you can eat buffets um and i, I, I i'm kind of with you red I, I don't know if i would have trusted the, the whole crab leg situation like I've eaten sushi at an all you can eat Chinese buffet and I felt like I was risking my life kind of thing you know so it was uh, yeah but I wow wow <laughs> that sounds like the kind of story that should have happened in prison I'm not surprised <laughs> because America is fat and so people really get upset about food and in the most ridiculous ways with this just being a, an example of it but um I know food portion sizes are smaller, or they were smaller there, but you said that y'all are kind of catching up to us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's pretty. It's getting. It's getting pretty bad. It's it, it's it's on the news. You know, you get those shots of people walking around with their bellies hanging out and like mm, the UK obesity crisis. Yeah. You know, I always wonder if. If any of those people ever see themselves, because you know they they always do it from the back. So I wonder if you're like watching one day, you're like, God damn it, that's me. They're, they're, <laughs> they're using me yeah. as an example. Like that has to be embarrassing. Yeah, that yeah, that's 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 a moment, isn't it? That's like that's when you know there's a decision to be made. <laughs> I mean, if you're a reasonable per reasonable person, you'll be like, Well, I am fat. <laughs> I guess. I guess yeah, that's on yeah. me. <laughs> yeah, I am Most fat. But until now, I didn't realize it was national news. That they were used as an example of a, a larger scale problem. <laughs> um, but I've never been to the UK, but I've always just, and I mean, it's it's very obvious. I mean, we mm -hmm. our portions here are so big that you can't finish. Like we, the concept of doggy bags and to go is because we get so much food at one time um and it's almost impossible to eat all of it depending on where you go yeah yeah it's uh, and also when you order that like each individual piece is is way bigger than you'd expect in the uk so you know i had uh, uh um a family i knew growing up went out to the states and sort of traveled around a little bit and they went into church's chicken um, and they thought it was going to be like the fried chicken places in London, which are, you know, it's kind of the, the national dish, dish of Southeast London is chicken shops. Um, and you go in there and you get like a couple of pieces of chicken, chips, and a drink. Um, the name of the really famous one? Morley's or Favourite. 
uh, two big ones. Um, yeah. If you're from southeast London, you're either Team Morley's or Team Favourite, and I was very much on the Morley side of things. Uh, but yeah, we got loads. Chicken Cottage, Chicken Palace, uh, Dallas Chicken, Texas Chicken, Halal Chicken. So <laughs> uh, yeah, it's popular. There's a lot of chicken places, but the, I don't know what they're doing to the chicken. The pieces be so big. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it didn't. It didn't fit on the table. So this uh, this guy went out there and he said, "Oh yeah, I'll get." You know, I'll get like a meal, whatever that comes with, which is, you know, chicken, biscuit, gravy, chips. Oh, you guys call them fries, right? So, you know, standard stuff. Then he went, oh, I'm on holiday. I'll get a couple of side plates um, and put them on the side. And if I can't finish it, I can't finish it. And he said when they, when they brought all the food to him for the amount he paid, he did not realise it was going to be that kind of a situation. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, they had to bring out like a second little table and put it next to him so there was a place to put it. Um, so yeah, it's it's different. We st- we still like fried chicken. We just don't eat the whole chicken. It's like <laughs> just a couple pieces. Nando's was the one that I was thinking of. Oh, oh Nando's. Yeah, that's um, yeah, that's that's pe- people like that. I I think I'm too much of an old man. I, I was you know I was already a dad and stuff by the time that all started coming out. But yeah, for the for the young lads, I have a Nando's and then go out and get twatted. Some UK. Um, YouTubers, and I think that's where I heard of Nando's from. Oh, the cheeky Nando's, yeah. <laughs> uh, I've been there a couple of times. It's okay. Um, it's, a, uh, it's, yeah, it could be spicy. There's a young British black kid that reviews chicken all throughout the UK. The chicken connoisseur. The chicken connoisseur. That's yeah. him. That's yeah. his name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I, I listened to a video. I was like, damn, he knows his damn chicken. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> He reviews the Morleys actually. He he um he he reviews the Morleys just around the corner from where I grew up. That was like the like my my main Morleys was the South Norwood Morleys, but there's there's one in Thornton Heath as well, which is very respectable. And uh, yeah, he I think it got like a nine out of ten on his on his thing. So I was yeah I was happy with that. Yeah. <laughs> I guess yeah, I always yeah. look at chicken as like a, I don't know why, because it's whatever, but like as an American, very Southern American, because we love fried chicken. <laughs> yeah, Britain steals recipes. That's that's what we do. Uh, our national dish is chicken tikka masala, you know. <laughs> oh, okay, that's the Indian dish. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, uh, yeah, it was, it's the, it's based on Indian food, but it's uh, invented in Britain. Uh, and it's, it's what we do. We go abroad, be like, oh, this is nice. And then just, Come home and steal it. <laughs> I've, 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 got, I've got a collard greens recipe that has balsamic vinegar in it. You know, it's, I'm, I'm just as bad as the rest of them. You know, you know the thing is to me, cultural appropriation of taking it is based on whether you're willing to give the person. Like it's like plagiarism. Yeah. Like cultural appropriation is plagiarism. It's taking it and trying to pass it as your own. As opposed to giving credit. As opposed to giving credit to who it came from, you know? Like if I make a Chinese dish, I'm not gonna say, you know, I just decided to use these different seasonings to make this dish that I've never <laughs> heard of or tasted in my life. And y'all should enjoy that Eddie's special chicken. <laughs> Knowing that it's damn well Chinese. <laughs> you know, versus saying, you know, Chi- Chinese culture has really done something with all of these different seasonings and and that they put together for this type of preparation for chicken. It's amazing. Like, that's the, that's the two different ones for me. Like, that's how it... I feel like I would cook everything I want. I'm going to give everybody credit for it. I'm not going to... Because I make, I make a tres leche. 
you know, which, which is will kill me. So I'm it will kill you. You can't eat it. <laughs> uh, but you know, that's a uh, a Spanish food, and yeah. somebody Dominican came over here, and I was like, I was gonna make a translation. I was like, wait a minute, that's Latino culture. I can't make that shit. <laughs> well, just like if a Chinese person came here, I wouldn't make I wouldn't make General Sauce chicken. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I wouldn't, but it, it'd be more because I'd feel like I wasn't doing it properly. <laughs> they gonna come over here. You made this American ass, Americanized ass shit. Yeah, like, yeah. But it's, I wouldn't it's, want it's, that. It's, it's the same with the London chicken shops. Like, if you go in there, it will say Southern chicken. You know, as in Southern American chicken, but. When you get when you when I eat it, I'm like I'm pretty sure if anyone from the south was actually in here with me, they'd be like, "This is London chicken." <laughs> this is maybe it's inspired by the south, or you know, someone saw a picture of southern fried chicken one time and they decided to try and make it at home. But it's yeah, it's it's different stuff. You know, they they use vegetable oil instead of peanut oil, which is my biggest gripe. It comes out kind of greasy. Yeah. This is completely unrelated, but I just thought of this. What are some like American stereotypes. <coughs> <coughs> uh, <laughs> they're um. Do, do you mean like good ones or <laughs> Cole's bar? <laughs> whatever, whatever. The worst or the worst. Because I can tell you, something. I mean, it can't I, be many positive. I just don't see that being many positive. Yeah, everybody thinks we're assholes, but because we are, but. I mean, the ones that we have about the UK are going to be stupid stuff. Like they drink a lot of tea. <laughs> we do, we do. Yeah, it's going to be instead of coffee, teeth. Yeah, terrible, yeah, teeth. terrible teeth. Yeah, yeah. Like, that's it's fair. Just a, like the regular stuff. I'm just curious as to how we're viewed over there, though. Um, um, so, oh so I, I, I once. <laughs> we're black in America. If we were white, we would get offended. Yeah. But we've been through the shit already. Yeah. <laughs> I went. To, I went to a um, a stand-up gig, and uh, the the guy that was uh, was doing the set um, was making a point about stereotypes. Uh, and so he says, you know, stereotypes are so ingrained. Um, you know, this is a room of however many uh, people, how many hundred people, that I could, I could give you a country. And I'll ask you to give me two uh, things about them that are stereotypically true, and all of you will, will agree on the ones that you give. And he went round. And he said, like, "Oh, Irish," and they went, uh, "You know, they, they, they drink a lot and they sound sexy." And you know, everyone called out something vaguely to that effect. You know, and he went to American, uh, and it was the clearest one. And everyone said. Um, uh, Fat and stupid, uh, which, I, well, and it and it came out it came out really quick. And I, I don't know if that's because it's legitimately because people think that, but certainly from uh, the kind of stereotype for stereotype's sake, that's the 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 predominant ones. But then, like you say, with teeth, uh, these perfect white teeth, that's always a, a thing. It's like unnaturally white. We teeth. have some bad teeth, especially here in the south. We have some bad teeth. Oh uh, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. In Britain, we got some pretty bad. <laughs> I did some research around it, and it was pretty much based off of the well, from my understanding. I don't know if, if, if you can uh, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, like the history of it was that dentistry was mostly made for Parliament and royalty, and so dentistry wasn't really available at all to people that weren't that were poor. 
And so over a history of over a history of not having access to it and not finding it important and really not focusing on it, that's kind of how that happened. Is that? Oh yeah, yeah. My uh, my my grandmother was born in uh, nineteen twenty, and um, she used to tell me stories of when she was a, a little girl uh, in her tiny little remote Welsh village, which is probably even for the time pretty bad access to dentistry. Uh, but cases where like someone would die and it'd be like oh who's inheriting his dentures um, or you'd, you'd get to a certain age and just go well pff, these are all screwed I'll just, I'll just yank them all out even the healthy ones I'll just pull them all out of my head and wear some hand-me-down dentures from somewhere else because there's no point in keeping hold of them so uh, yeah yeah it was it was low on the totem pole you know you can die from like a root can like if you don't get a root canal yeah you can die from that infection that infectional trap can yeah. travel to your heart mm-hmm. and kill you like oh yeah serious stuff and they told me that's okay yeah okay, okay yeah, yeah please, please cut this out, cut out, this out my head. <laughs> 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 like, like pulled it like i had to get a root canal and i wanted to preserve the tooth I should have told him to pull it out. Oh yeah. But I told him to preserve it, and this seemed to be giving me more problems preserving it. Pull it out. Um, another stereotype is that y'all are really, really polite. Um, um, we have a veneer of being polite. Yes. <laughs> so y'all are like nice out, and then talk shit about people. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we do think- that. We're just more. Yeah, I think British people are better at being serious. What we say outwardly is a lot more, I think, than you guys do. But we do have, like, there are things that we do keep. It may not seem like it. Um, But, you know, there is, like, a limit to where we'll go, most of us. We have have a lot of extra words, I'll say that. Um, and And it comes from the classist history where there was this way you were supposed to address your betters. So if you were speaking to someone who was a class above you, you had to mind all your P's and Q's and you had to really ham it up a little bit um, so uh, I think a lot of the time when people come to the UK and they talk to people just day to day they're surprised by how much people say please and thank you and sorry excuse me do you mind if and all of that kind of stuff so it's, it, in conversationally we're very polite um, but you know <laughs> we can be very rude it's just a lot a lot it's it's quieter <laughs> yeah I think that's I don't know of any other Oh, uh, one thing we'll say. that we we may have about like, the UK, yeah. other than well, they drink a lot of tea, bad tea, they're polite, which is not a bad thing, I guess. Um, yeah, I think that's. I can't think of anything else. Have you heard of the uh, comedian Reginald D. Hunter? Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah I saw his stand up, and it was just interesting to me that he was from Georgia. But have been living in the UK for when I, when he did the stand up for the last ten years, so it's probably thirteen or fourteen years now. Mm-hmm. And just his his perspective on UK life coming from a southern upbringing was very uh, interesting. Yeah, yeah, I, I I like that guy. I think he's he's uh, he's kind of like an uh, almost an American Hannibal Burris in terms of, terms of his delivery. He's like, very kind of laid back, and he's got good rolling laughs during his sets. Um, yeah. I do, I do like it. Sorry, that's me talking like a comedian. He's very funny. <laughs> yeah. Me, I'm from me, Croydon. Me, I'm from Croydon. Or where you're living at now, rather. Oh. Oh. <laughs> you noticed that I said it wrong. Um, yeah, <laughs> British people don't, have to, don't know how to pronounce 
the places in the UK. <laughs> so I, it's like the whole Worcester sauce, you know. I, I'm from. No, I actually, I was like, I've been saying it wrong all this time. I thought it was me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I am from Gloucester in the clown, county of Gloucestershire, uh, which is spelt Gloucester and Gloucestershire. <laughs> It's like we have we have Birmingham. We don't have Birmingham. Um, so we got time for so, a few more yeah, stories. For, for, is um, Dr. Seuss books like Horton Hears a Who branded racist and problematic in new study. Why is Horton Hears a Who racist? Uh, this study reveals how racism spans across the entire Seuss collection, while debunking myths about how books like Horton Hears a Who and the Sneetches can be used to promote tolerance anti-bias or anti-racism in their report in their February 2019 report the cat is out of the bag orientalism anti-blackness and white supremacy in Dr. Seuss's children's book Um, they say that findings from this study promote awareness of the racist narratives and images in Dr. Seuss's children's book and implications to the formation and reinforcement of racial biases in children Uh, let's see notably every character of color is male Males of color are only presented in subservient, exotified, or dehumanized roles. Um, This also remains true in their relation to white characters. Most startling is the complete invisibility and absence of women and girls of color across Seuss' entire children's book collection. What? So how do we feel about... How do we feel about this? How do we feel about... have too much time on their hands. That's how I feel. So is it is it really foreign to the idea that a a person like Dr. Seuss that was writing books at the time he was writing them would have some racial predispositions? No. Or should we not look that deeply into it for things when we can find other meaning of it? That's my thing is that they had to really look deep, and I feel like I've seen like Cindy Lou is a girl. There are there have been female characters in some of the I don't remember where Cindy Lou was from. There was a girl and a boy in um, the, what is it? Not the cat. The cat in the hat. There's a girl and a boy. There's a brother and a sister. Like, I just feel like that's looking a little deep into, I don't know. The world has enough problems without us, like, going deep and trying to find other ones. <laughs> um, that's just weird to me. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I will... First of all, when I was a kid, we used to call him Dr. Swice. Um, but as I've grown up, I found out I'm the only kid that ever did that. Um, but in, in terms of like how it relates to... Oh, man, it's... On, on the one hand, I want to say, you know, look, you know the same kind of... You've got too much time on your hands. You know, you're trying to find an issue where there isn't one. But then again, I know that that kind of thought process... You know, and that kind of racist outlook is uh, it's insidious, and it is important for you know those formative years to have uh, an understanding of stories and reality and and how things work that is consistent with the civilization and the society that you're living in. Uh, oh, yeah, no, that's difficult. My my, my instinct as a, a parent would be like, oh well, I'll just. I'm at the point now where I'm looking at it and going, why don't we just chuck everything from my childhood in the bin? Because there's a lot of great stuff that's out for kids now. I wasn't even, as a kid, my... I liked um, Shel Silverstein books. Uh, Light in the Attic, Where the Sidewalk Ends, 
um, those were more of the like grimy books that I that I liked. Doctor Seuss was just you know. We made green eggs and ham in kindergarten. I remember that after we read the book and we thought it was so amazing. Not realizing it was green food color. We were just like, she made green eggs and ham. And it was the most amazing thing ever. <laughs> Simplicity of children. Because now I'd be like, why did you make this green <laughs> as an adult? But as a kid, I was like, this is amazing. I'm sure my mom got tired of hearing about that the whole time after I came home. Because it's like, they were green. Like, you don't understand. It's amazing. Pass. <laughs> I don't know. You know, it is. It goes to where my dilemma is as a society. How far do we go back to retroactively apply our current standards to old things that exist? Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't really know. I don't really know. I mean, there's some things that's dangerous enough where it's like, okay, Me Too has happened. We going back to find out what Bill Cosby been doing, um, but some things I don't know if we if it makes a difference or not. I guess a bunch of people could go their whole life without reading a study about Dr. Seuss being racist, and it not change your life at all. You know. Yeah, that it, it depends where you draw the line, I guess. I mean, like I I, I got. Uh, I started to feel a bit uncomfortable about the whole Mary Poppins thing um, when uh, when that uh, came to light. You know, it, it was a story that I knew well from when I was a kid, but it had to be. What happened with be, Mary Poppins? Well, well, there's. I mean, you, you know, the story, broadly speaking, of you know what Mary Poppins was, and yeah, Dick Van Dyke in it with his hilariously bad Cockney accent and everything. Um, well, the the new one came out, so they, they they did a sequel to it, and it's about the two kids in it when they're grown up. And uh, uh, a lot of people started coming out uh, from the you know the sort of liberal side of things and saying like hey, this is a, actually a there, there's troubling undertones in this whole story, um, as can be proven if you look at the original version of Mary Poppins, um, and it turns out that yeah the the original version before Disney would make well before Disney made the film um, they took a load of language out that was pretty shocking um in today's uh you know from through a a lens from with with today's eyes uh which was centered around uh the little boy was misbehaving so mary poppins took him on a tour of the world and introduced him to an uh, inuit family an african family uh chinese family i want to say and then comes back to the uk and that night he has this dream about being attacked by this uh, oriental guy with a sword and this black guy with a spear and this uh, Inuit bloke with a knife and he wakes up and he decides to be good from that point on Uh, and they they rewrote it in order to replace the ethnic stereotypes with um, uh, animal kingdom you know like animated animals uh, anthropomorphized animals sorry uh, uh, to, to sort of take that element out of it and they, they did that I mean you know in the middle of the 20th century you know, it wasn't in the most enlightened times that they decided to make this difference and then, so I was like intrigued looked up the author uh, and, and a lot like Dr. Swice there was a lot of um, yeah she had a lot of opinions <laughs> and, and I'm not saying therefore I don't like this uh, uh, I, I don't like the Mary Poppins film um but 
equally, I don't think I'd be comfortable now showing it to my own children. You know, if I had another baby and we were starting all over again, I'd be like, oh, well, maybe just stay clear of that one. So, you know, let's just, let's just watch uh, something else. And um, I think that's, to me, the core of it. When you're talking about, is this racist, do we have to retroactively apply our morals from today back to this old art? It's We can, um, but it's not... It's, it's almost like we don't have to completely vilify the piece of art, but that equally doesn't mean we have to keep engaging with it in the same way. You know, it, you, you can look back and say, oh, I got a, lo- a load of good... Um, feelings and a lot of good uh, uh, teachings from the Cosby show but doesn't mean I'm going to show it to my kids because he's a rapist <laughs> so I know I know nah we'll do one more story and then we'll call it call it quits parents demand answers after mom finds YouTube or finds video on YouTube kids with suicide instructions oh the Momo challenge yes. is that it no this is that's different mm-hmm. this um, so the kid was watching a, uh, it was a cartoon video um, and then about halfway through she said the footage was no longer cartoons but footage of a man in sunglasses telling children how to slit their wrists Hess which the, the mom's name is Free Hess whatever. <laughs> um, Hess says she reported the video for removal and YouTube reportedly took a week to remove it from the site. Um, Hess also alleges that she came across videos glorifying not only suicide, but sexual exploitation and abuse, human trafficking, gun violence, and domestic violence. Um, you know, YouTube, you know, they responded and said, we appreciate people drawing our uh, people drawing problematic content to content to our attention and make it possible for anyone to flag a video, but so you for anybody that doesn't know YouTube Kids is like a version of YouTube or it's like a extension of the app that you can use to keep your kids from being able to watch just like anything you know and it's, so it's a it's they're supposed to be some kind of funneling that happens where it's only like you know kids cartoons and stuff that's appropriate for kids but but apparently what this person did purposefully you have to do this is started out with a cartoon video and then in the middle of it put some stuff about slitting your wrist which is weird and creepy have you been keeping up with momo i haven't i know what momo i mean i've seen what momo looks like but i don't know what the hell it is well momo was just this creepy figure that Um, supposedly pops up in videos and tells kids to do stuff to themselves, harm themselves and stuff. Kind of similar to what you're saying. And is that creepy picture that you've been seeing? Yeah. Is that person doing it? And I'm always skeptical about stuff like that. I was like, okay, whatever, big deal. But a post on one of my friend's pages said that they asked their kid if they knew who this was. And they said, yeah, they showed up in some videos. And I asked the kid on my caseload, and he said the same thing. That he seen Momo. Yeah, the that Momo showed up. Matter of fact, when I showed him the picture, it terrified the shit out of him. And he started almost crying. And then I was like, where have you seen this? And he said, in some of the, some of the videos that I watch. And he said they pop, it pops up randomly sometimes. So, it's like, people have been intentionally uploading this harmful content for kids to come across and problematic. And it's problematic. I go back to human beings suck <laughs> that I said in the beginning. Um, it's why you have to be careful about what you allow your kids to watch, especially when it's coming from 
like the internet, you just never know. And there are sick people that will take advantage of something like YouTube Kids, where they know parents are going to be less likely to monitor it because it's a platform made specifically to be safe for kids to watch stuff. And so parents' guards are going to be a lot more let down for that than if they put it on regular YouTube. Which, again, what kind of sicko do you have to be to come up with that concept? I was, uh, I was just uh, saying that... Uh it, it is really awful that people are putting this stuff on YouTube Kids. Um, that said, uh, I think a bigger issue is parents of a certain generation maybe not understanding how the internet works. Um, and this expectation that, oh, there should be someone looking at all of these videos and making sure. And you, you're just thinking, look, the, the, the videos are being uploaded so much faster than it would be possible to watch even if all of their employees were sat staring at YouTube videos all day long. It's just not possible, you know. Part of it's gonna have to be a computer looking through things and that computer is sometimes gonna make a mistake. You know, it's, it's gonna get better over time but uh, how do you define something that's harmful to a child? How do you teach a computer to look for that? It's, you know, it's, it's really hard. So you've got to take a bit of parental responsibility and A, teaching your kid what the dangers of using the internet are even around YouTube and stuff like that, uh, and and be understanding what those dangers are yourself, um, so that you know how to kind of meter things and, and how to talk about it. But uh, yeah, no, it, it it definitely sucks. And the, the whole uh, Momo thing actually started as uh, a bit of media hype around this uh, suicide game um, that didn't make any sense. It was it was meant to be like oh on WhatsApp you'll get a message from Momo telling you to you know, do some kind of dare and then it'll slowly get worse and you'll end up uh, killing yourself and they uh, erroneously conflated this with a couple of unfortunate suicides that had occurred around the world and said oh yeah this was a result of Momo and it wasn't in reality uh, and then yeah the internet trolls got hold of that and went oh I know let's let's do Momo screaming uh, insanely in, into the middle of uh, videos that we know kids will watch because people are yeah people are pretty trash when when you really get down to it. <laughs> they really are. Yeah. It just yeah. it's like the whole Slenderman thing. There was um kid there was a case where two girls um here convinced their friend to come into the woods with them and they stabbed her trying yep. to like I yep. guess um, sacrifice her so that the Slenderman would like come and get them. I don't know. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, and take him away to take him away to live with him or something. Or, yeah. And so, the, thankfully, the little girl survived. But I mean, imagine your friends. It's like with Remy, and you saying that he would be getting choked and be like, "Yay, it's mm -hmm. okay." Um, you you know, you could go to hang out with a friend, people that you consider to be your friends, and then they just start stabbing you for no reason other than that they want this fictional character to come and take them away to live with him. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and they full on tried to kill her. She didn't, you know, she, they didn't stop. She just uh, couldn't, didn't they like leave her there, and she had to crawl to the road or something horrific. It was, yeah. No. I mean, you ha parents have to be very careful about the thing, and, and you're right. It's about them not this generation. I think um, because they've always had the internet, don't necessarily think about what needs to happen. Yeah, you know, I yeah. didn't have it. Uh, we didn't get the internet until I don't even know. And it was dial-up, so it really wasn't even worth use. Because <laughs> mm -hmm. it was very frustrating. Um, 
But I just, I've seen as an adult how shitty the internet can be and some of the things that can be on it. And so for parents to not be a little bit more cautious about what they're, you know, just sitting your kid in front of YouTube for hours, you just, you don't know what they're going to see. There's not a way for you to know that um, if you're not monitoring it. Yeah, um, and, and unfortunately a lot of parents do. And, you know, you see it because it's easy, I guess, you know, you get, get the iPad and you, you chuck it down and they sit there and they don't bother you for a real long time. But, uh, and it's, it's awkward having these, uh, <laughs> these conversations, you know, when my stepdaughter was getting older, um, we had to sit her down at one point and say, listen, um, if you're curious about anything to do with human reproduction, please ask us, do not ask the internet. <laughs> Never never go on there and type it in uh, and you know she's uh, a, y a young girl and she said well why not and I went well it's because uh, the things that you'll find are kind of like uh, kind of like Hollywood so in the same way if you go and see a, an action film and you see a policeman and he's firing a gun out of a window and involved in huge explosions and he's falling off of buildings and stuff if you did that in real life you'd hurt yourself and you would not have a very good time but if all you were going on was that film, you would think that's what being a policeman's all about. Well, when it comes to sex, that's what the internet is. It's it's the Hollywood version, and so we don't want you to know about that because you'll be terrified, <laughs> disgusted. You know, it would be a really bad time. So just just ask us if you have any questions. And historically, that's a, a conversation you can put off if you want to. As a parent, you can just go, "Well, I'm not going to teach him about sex until it." Become, but now you kind of have to because. And it's the same with all of it. You have to go, well, don't talk to people on the internet. Why? Because they're grown-ups. Might be pretending to be kids. Why? Right, okay. I can either now explain this to you, which is going to be really uncomfortable, or you're going to be curious, which means you will check the second my back is turned. <laughs> so it's, yeah, it's a, it's a harder time. It is. I had a kid that, um, I forgot what he was Googling, but he came across furries and became addicted to, like, furry porn. And had to like, we had to refer him out to. <laughs> that's a very specific <laughs> issue, but it yeah, was something yeah. completely non-sexual related that he was googling. But like furries, <laughs> he was introduced to furries that way, or furrying, whatever it is. Yeah, and then and now, now he wants to dress up like a squirrel and fuck it. I mean, ah, <laughs> oh. <laughs> it's like as a parent. You know, once it was discovered, yeah, it's like, what do you say now? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's there's nothing in a parenting book about that. No one ever sat a parent down in the 50s and said, well, if your kid wants to dress up like a squirrel when they fuck people, you know, because an adult on the, that you don't know taught them about it, this is what you do. It's like, no, that never happened. <laughs> that never happened before. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's, uh, I think... For the parents' part, the the main thing is it's about having uncomfortable conversations that you never thought you were going to have to have. Um, but wow, yeah, furry stuff that would have that would have come out of left field. <laughs> it did because I mean, I, <laughs> the poor parents didn't know anything about furry, <laughs> so they were um, introduced to it through their kid. I forgot how old this kid was because it was when I was an intern. <clears throat> <clears throat> um, but they didn't even know what it was, and so <laughs> they got a quick lesson. And, uh, <laughs> traumatic for them as well. <laughs> what would you? What would you think? Oh, <laughs> can you, can you, 
Oh, oh, just go on little Jimmy's computer. Oh, no, he's been looking at adult sites. Oh, no, it's... What? <laughs> what the hell is yeah. this? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> have you never seen it? But, like, I wouldn't even... I think that may have been my introduction to it. I don't think I knew what it was. <laughs> would you worry that it was, like, best yet? But then it would be... Well, no, because it's not like this is some... It's, you know... Because in the seventh, there was that uh, DVD that you were saying when when you were a kid about like yeah right. So it's not that. I mean that at least was vaguely in in the public consciousness. People are aware of that. It's like no no this is this is someone in a wolf suit they made themselves out of a sofa somewhere. <laughs> I, just, I don't know what this is. Yeah, I, I had no idea like that was my introduction to it because like my. Uh my supervisor said furrying and I was like what the hell is that and she told me and I was like really people do that <laughs> why isn't that hot I just feel like you'd be sweating a lot inside of that suit it's uh maybe it's, uh, uh, yeah maybe it's more popular in cold states I don't know <laughs> I don't understand doesn't make any sense to me <laughs> well Look, Michael, I appreciate you for joining the show. We can go ask him how he found us. Oh, yeah, before like, you go, so how did you end up finding us anyway? I, I, um, th- this is going to be like the worst possible answer to, to your question. Uh, but I cannot remember. <laughs> I Because I was listening to you guys a long time before I first started to write in. So maybe almost a year before my first message to you guys, I was, I was listening. So it's, it's been for quite some time, and I, I don't know, I, I guess I was just down a click hole one day, and I was listening to different podcasts. Um, but I, where I used to live, um, over in Swindon, I, uh, I used to have a, an hour walk into work in the morning and an hour back. Uh, and you were on my, my playlist of, of podcasts to listen to. Uh, and then when that, that podcast listening time uh, got brought all the way back down because I, you know, I work from home now um, you were the one of two podcasts that survived so yeah that's I don't, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> that's awesome man well thank you so much for listening we appreciate it uh, we appreciate you for taking the time out I know the time difference is off <laughs> yeah, yeah. as well what time is it there uh, it's half past eight. Yeah, I definitely appreciate you for taking the time. I definitely appreciate you for listening. Uh, next time you're on, we'll have a better uh, source of communication because I don't know how this is going to sound. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah that, there's going to be a lot of editing, I'd imagine. It's, uh, <laughs> so I apologize for that. No, I, no apologies on your part. We'll find out a better way to do it in the future if you if you would join us again at some point. Yeah, of course. Uh, yeah, appreciate yeah, of the course. Appreciate, appreciate the advice. But it's so much fun because it's one thing to like you know have your letters, but being able to like actually have a back and forth conversation has been cool. Yeah, likewise. Um, I'm, I'm often find myself talking to my headphones, so it's nice <laughs> you can respond now. Oh, say what? I say a lot of I say a lot of the time when I'm listening to the podcast, I'll I'll say things out loud to you guys. Or not, not out loud, but maybe in my head because that sound makes me sound insane. But <laughs> so yeah, no, it's, it's it's been great. Thank you. Well, thank you, sir, for your time, and um, and that'll be it until we kind of next conversation. We out. Holla.